It's going to be a 24th straight conference win, a 23rd straight win at home, a 22nd straight win overall for the 21st ranked UNLV Lady Rebels who go back to back in the Mountain West. Live from the Mountain West Conference Tournament inside the Thomas and Mack, it's Cofield and Company. All right, here we go. Back here on a Thursday, one of the fun days. A lot of fun days so far. Last night was great with the Lady Rebels. You hear some of the calls there, courtesy of CBS Sports Network. We're at the Thomas and Mac. We got one game in the books on quarterfinal Thursday. We have another one being played right now with our neighbors up north, or rivals, uh, in the case of Nevada. 13-11 right now, 10 minutes left in the first San Jose is on top in the four or five game needless to say Wolfpack have to win this game not only to advance in the tournament but uh, to get well to not put itself in serious jeopardy when it comes to the NCAA tournament so two and a half hours on the way we're going to head into a run and rebel game at six o'clock the men will be taking on Boise the two seed the men the seven seed they won yesterday we'll break that down a little bit overtime victory against Air Force I'm here our Thursday home 52 weeks a year is Silver Sevens right down the road from the arena. Willie and I can't be closer without uh, actually being next to each other. Willie, how you doing, buddy? Hanging out. Got some tickets, got some giveaways. Always a good time. Thursday at Silver Sevens. Got James on my left, ready to kick it, ready to talk all kinds of stuff. Basketball, football, free agency, you name it. I'm ready. Lady Rebels win last night. I know you're a uh, big fan of female basketball. You cover a ton of college women's basketball, aces as well. And, boy, that was the culmination last night of a building process in terms of winning culture and how to win in close games. Because that game was tight. It was a 71-60 final, but Wyoming would not go away. But once again, as they've been so special at in close games. Lady Rebels came through, and it was a across-the-board team effort, but the uh, the dominant players really got it done, Willie. Desi Ray Young, a local. Essence Booker, a local. They combined for 47. And Lindy LaRock, a local, is going back with her team to the NCAAs for a second straight year with 31 wins. 31-2, and 21-0 in conference. My Lord. 24 straight victories dating back to last year against Mountain West Conference foes. You know what I was thinking of last night as I was watching that game and as it was coming down to the end and I'm watching Desiree and I'm watching Essence Booker and I'm watching Justice Etheridge. I posted a picture. I don't know if you saw it earlier in the day yesterday. Five years ago yesterday to the day, I was actually writing for the Mountain West Conference, recapping every single game, men and women, and I escorted a group of local players with coach Billy Hemberger. He's now over at Liberty. He was at Spring Valley at the time. I was escorting these ladies in through the back with Billy to some seats and brought Justice Etheridge and Essence Booker fresh off commits to then UNLV and UNR. And they did an interview with the Mountain West Network five years to today. And those two help lead along with others yep. another Mountain West championship. So, and what I'm sitting here thinking is, you know, Lindy LaRock, what she does, you know, qualified basketball coaches are going to teach basketball. They're going to teach their systems. She gets the best out of her players. The way that she was taught as a youngster from her father and then Tara Vanderveer. And 
Who is she getting the best out of? She's putting it in their hands. Locals. This is the type of this is the type of storyline that, that you just can't duplicate. I mean, local heroes coming in, and she 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 put the program on their back and said, "Okay, go do it," and they did it two years in a row. As you mentioned yesterday, they distanced themselves in the fourth quarter, pulling away for the win. And it was a it was a fantastic win for the program. It was a statement making win. I'm watching the the broadcasters back in the studio, the analysts, and how they're talking about you know the seating and making a statement. And um, it, overall, it, it's exactly what it was. It was it was a statement. Lindy said to you personally the other day, "We have to win. If we don't win, we're not going." And that's what they, that was the mindset that they had. And they played like it. And to go back to your photo, uh, yeah, the uh, the vast social media crew for Cofield and Company actually retweeted that a little earlier in the day, Willie. That was a really cool photo of Essence Booker and Desi Ray actually heading their separate ways, one going out of the market, one staying in the market. Imagine if you could have told them at the time, listen, you're eventually going to join forces, and you're going to reel off two monstrous seasons with, to this point, I think it's 58 wins the last two years in the regular season. And you guys are going to win two Mountain West Conference titles. Second time around, you're going to combine for 47 points. Uh, Desi Ray is going to be just ahead of you, Essence, as the best player in the conference. It's uh, it's pretty special stuff. And, and and let me interject real quick. I want you to think about something. That was five years ago. Yep. Um, I want you to imagine that there were locals on that team that at the time were up for Gatorade Player of the Year that had a fantastic, you know, family tree, genetic code, basketball. Jasmine O'Bannon, Ed O'Bannon's daughter, Paris Strother, Julian Strother's older sister, locals who were on the team that were worked in, but they weren't. This was a time when the Gonzalez twins, when there were just one or two members of the team that the whole focus was on them. And even when things went sour, there wasn't depth. There wasn't different people to turn to. And what they didn't have was the tenacity and wherewithal in how to win, knowing how to win. Lindy said that last night on the post-game interview. She said it to you before. She said it to all of us, is that these ladies know how to win. They can be down by however many. They know how to win. And again, she put her money where the mouth was in terms of recruiting and depending on locals. Willie mentioned the Strothers, uh, Julian out of town with Gonzaga. They're into the NCAA tournament. Uh, Paris, sister, played at UNLV. We're going to talk to their dad. We're going to talk a lot of local basketball today, and why not? Right? Last night, the Lady Rebels got the job done getting a second NCAA bid. Tonight, Runner Rebels try to pull the upset on Boise State. It'd be nice to have a big uh, Rebel contingent here. You can get your tickets at UNLVtickets.com. Again, it's a 6 o'clock tip, a little more manageable. Doesn't interfere with the workday for a lot of people. Game goes down 6 o'clock as UNLV is going to be trying to beat Leon Rice. Don't we all want to beat Leon Rice? I don't mean physically. Uh, but UNLVtickets.com is where you go. Come out to the game tonight. Uh, Lee Strother on the way back as we talk uh, local Vegas basketball. These are pretty high times right now, especially on the women's side. 777 gets you two hot dogs, two bags of chips, and a 22-ounce Bud, Bud Light, or Michelob Ultra Draft on Golden Knights game days at the Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. Murphy goes baseline. Murphy underneath, blocked by Iwako. Taken by Rodriguez. Up ahead, Harkless. Harkless down the right side, lays it up and in. One-point game with a minute to go. 
Now, back to the William Hill Sportsbook Inside Silver 7s with Cofield and Company. Basketball and more basketball. Mount West Conference Tournament. I'm at the Thomas and Mac. Willie Ramirez over at Silver 7s. We're getting ready for a UNLV game tonight. Men's game. You heard John Sandler on the call there. Is part of a gigantic night. and Thankfully, they got it from him. E.J. Harkless, 35 points as the Runner Rebels advance to today's play with a 78-70 win over Air Force in overtime. Meanwhile, Reno's playing right now, Willie, and San Jose State, man, they're tough. Tim Miles got him to 10 and 8 this year in conference, which if you know Mountain West Conference basketball, that's working a miracle with San Jose State. And right now the Spartans lead 24-16, grinder game, four minutes left in the first half. So this would be a rough loss for Nevada to suffer. If they lose it, that would make three in a row to close out the season. Uh, San Jose, the five seed, they lost to the Rebels on their home floor, gave up an eight-point lead with two minutes left in the game, lost in overtime. They had lost to Wyoming, the worst team in the conference, the game before that. So the screws are going to tighten at half, Willie. they got to win this game. Well, I think if we've seen anything in the Mountain West, nothing's coming easy, right, between Air Force taking the UNLV to overtime, San Diego State being taken to the brink, um, huh. Nothing's coming easy in, in yeah. this in this particular event. I mean, we see it every year in different conferences, but I think the from top to bottom, even dare I say Wyoming, you know, just there's you never know. We we've been saying that you just never know what to expect from any of these teams on any given night. So that being said, all in Vegas on a neutral court outside of a outside of UNLV, um, any team stepping up on any given night. Uh, Wyoming gave a real good test in the late game, the third game of the day yesterday against New Mexico. They led at the half by three. New Mexico uh, blew it open in the second half. But as you mentioned, I'd even uh, open with the uh, top seed, San Diego State. I mean, right down to the final seconds, Isaiah Stevens missed a couple of shots. He missed like an 85-footer. But before that, he missed a 12-foot runner that uh, potentially could have tied the game. That was a 64-61 to 61 final. So San Diego State barely got by Colorado State. Um, the bracketology picture is pretty crazy. Last update, Willie, was last night at 8.30, so things change, especially at the back end of this thing, because in a lot of ways, if you're a last four buys, last four in, first four out, maybe the second four out, what you do, this is basically your play in or play out of the field. So you gotta get the job done or you may be out, and the situation for the Mountain West, Beyond San Diego State, I mean, literally, their second-best team, Boise, is on the brink. Boise has a lot of pressure tonight. They cannot lose this game to the runner Rebels. Boise State, the second team that could be in, in order, in to the NCAA tournament from the conference, is in the last four buys. So they're kind of safe, but that could change a lot. Last four in, Utah State. They're actually... The last team in by Joe Lenardi's chart, Willie. And they play New Mexico tonight. I mean, I would assume, unless they get some breaks, if they lose, they could be out of the field. And then first four out is Nevada. So right now, Lenardi has three teams in, a fourth just on the edge. But if things go wrong for these three teams today, they could all be out. And it's, I mean, I don't think that's going to be the case. But that's how crazy it is on the back end of this bracket. I'm going to go on the brink of saying that 
allowing UNLV to challenge Boise by allowing UNLV to challenge in this game tonight. The Broncos, if if, if Lenardi's putting his out day by day and he's do, and changing, which we've seen right this time yeah, yeah. of year, there's a, yeah. a poor performance in a victory pushes Boise State out, in my opinion. Well, they're right now they're last four buys, so that means they're. They could get bumped to the, the last four in, which means they're a, a play-in situation. They have to play Tuesday, Wednesday. You right. don't want that. I mean, at this point, you just want to get in. Right. But, yeah, it's a very it's a very dangerous game tonight. And I'll tell you, the odds makers, I think, made a mistake in setting the line. Um, and by a mistake, I, like, I'm not saying which team is going to win, but when the line moves two and a half, three points, what's happening? And it's funny, on the way in, we heard Chris Hassel talk about the Lady Rebels winning this many games on their home floor. This is not their home floor, one. They don't play in the Thomas and Mac. They play in Cox Pavilion. The tournament setting is not a home setting. I believe the oddsmakers every year book UNLV men's games, Willie, as if it's a home game, and they will have a ton of fans here. My guess is that today there may be maybe 2,000 runner Rebel fans for the game tonight at Six o'clock. I hope there's more, but they booked it like it's a UNLV home game. The number has gone from three all the way up to five and a half. Boise's well, favorite five and a half now. Right, and if I'm not mistaken, and I can't remember where I read it this morning, this game, based on net rankings, will be graded as a as a true road game for Boise State. Oh well, okay. Yeah, which is very interesting. Like I said, uh, we know what the attendance has been like this year. And it hasn't been great at the Thomas Mac for home games, but there's something with this tournament, Willie, where UNLV fans, I don't know if it's the, you know, the different pay structure. Um, they just haven't shown up consistently in the tournament. And really, listen, they haven't made the semis. It's, it's going on nine years now. So when people talk about it, it, I mean, in a way, it is a home court because you're familiar with the surroundings, the stands. I mean, it's a little bit different looking because of the, the black Sarah Kamard barriers around the court. Um, your locker room may be different. It's a little bit different looking. So, I mean, from a familiarity standpoint and a travel standpoint, there's a home environment. But from a, you know, in in the old days, you would get five, six, eight thousand Rebel fans here. I don't know what the turnout's going to be tonight. Cofield and Company returns in two minutes, live from the Mountain West Conference Tournament inside the Thomas and Mac. There's Young driving it on first. at the William Hill Sportsbook inside Silver 7s. It's Cofield and Company. All right, rolling on. Cofield and Company at the Thomas and Mac and at Silver 7s. All right, Willie, let's bring in your guy, our guy. Talk some local sports, talk about his kids. He's certainly connected to UNLV basketball and Gonzaga basketball as Lee Strother is joining us here to uh, talk about some Vegas hoopage. How are you, sir? Good. How's everybody? We're good. We watched uh, the Lady Rebels last night get the job done and really confident bunch and with a bunch of local players. Uh, that was really cool. I'm sure you were paying attention to it. Uh, Lindy LaRock makes the NCAA tournament for a second straight year. Absolutely. you got to pull for the hometown girls, especially when your daughter is a former player. So I'm definitely <laughs> keeping my eyes on them. You know, one thing we brought up earlier in the show, Lee, was the the fact that and this is nothing. This is not a knock against Kathy Olivier, but in a sense, I guess it's a knock against the persona, the 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 approach that she used, in that she brought in some t high end talent in Paris 
your daughter and, and, and Jazz O'Bannon and some other, you know, you had locals on there, but she focused on one or two of her stars and let everyone else, whereas I think Lindy has brought in the star talent, taught them the system, and whoever is the hot hand and let them run with it, but the depth is what we've seen her confidence in, where I think that's the difference, is the confidence in the entire roster, and that's why we're seeing this system and this team thrive. I have to agree 100%. It not just only goes for this Lady Rebel squad that we're talking about, but it's just in basketball in general, men's and women's basketball. It's to win games, it takes the whole group. And if you – sometimes less is more, you know, if you, if you guys know what I'm talking about. And yeah. if you focus on the top of the list too much – you kind of lose the locker room and things can happen and the next thing you know you're finding yourself in the in the loss column and uh i just think it's a collective effort and if you get the right it's all about recruiting you get the right people in you get the right group of um young players working together you're going to find yourself winning games and this is i mean you know we see we're in 2023 and you and i go back in this town for a long time. You played at Valley. You played for the late, great Bill Bobeer. You've seen some incredible talent come out from way back then to what we're seeing now. And you fast forward to today. To today. Um, just your thoughts before we start start in and talk about Julian and, and Gonzaga. Just your thoughts on the overall, as, as every year goes by, um, when you think back to the 70s and what we saw back then t- from 10 schools to now a guy that you knew as a young coach, Al LaRock, and his daughters leading the UNLV Lady Rebels and then all the, the boys and girls' talent that's in this town. Yeah, you just you, you, there's no way to back then, to way back then, see this coming. But uh, you're absolutely right. The talent is every year just amazing. You know, we started out where Nevada, Nevada in general just got really no respect as far as talent from the collegiate aspect and um now you you know you got players from all over not just from bishop gorman or not just from liberty or not just from wherever you got players across town across this whole town from various schools the neighborhood schools that are just as talented as anyone else and it's just a matter of getting seen and that's you know where you jump into the whole aau thing you know uh but the, the talent is immense around here, and it's just a matter of it's a, a lot of luck is involved for these kids. But, uh, you know, you have to be with the right AAU system and get with the right people and have the right circle of uh, adults around you to, to put you in the best, best position to get seen, and then things kind of take off from there. If you're good, you will get seen. You know, it's an old cliche, but it, I've come to find out that it's really true. Speaking to Lee Strother, father of former Lady Rebel Paris Strother and current Gonzaga Jr. Julian Strother, both starred at Liberty. Julian, of course, having an incredible career at Gonzaga. Um, Gonzaga wins the West Coast Conference Tournament this season. I believe it was over at the Orleans, right? Yes, correct. Um, So let's let's, let's start there, just uh, watching him. And, and the Bulldogs cut down the nets against St. Mary's, a team where that beat Gonzaga in the first meeting, then they meet up in Spokane. Gonzaga gets revenge in the season finale, and they, they once again a clash between Mark Few and Randy Bennett. Um, you had the family there. You had your daughters there, your grandson, and, of course, the pictures afterwards had to be a great feeling. 
it's amazing. You know, with the way travel is these days and the cost of travel, there was a handful of games that we had planned on getting to this season and just weren't unable to. And uh, so, but we knew and we had in our back pocket these couple of games here at home. So we, you know, we were really looking forward to, it. and it's just great to have him back home. Great to see him. Great to you just give him a hug because we don't really get to connect like that during the season or during the school year. And it was just a great feeling, to, you know, especially to see him succeeding with the roller coaster ride that he's had as a player. The ups and downs have been on top and been knocked and dragged through the mud, but continues to get back up and fight. And now this is where he is right now, playing the best ball of his of his life, really. Speaking with Lee Strother about his son Julian from Gonzaga, local products. Um, you know, you talk about being drugged through the mud. One of the things you and I talked about years ago when he was being recruited by Marvin was one of the top things that stood out to Julian was that um, why would I go to, you know, why would I consider a, a school like UNLV? It's my other outside of it being my hometown school. And yes, I could come in and possibly be the star for X amount of years when there's no fans. There's no support and one bad little thing and they they just annihilate you and the program and they're so hateful. But he goes to a program like Gonzaga where it's it's Spokane is college basketball central, it's Gonzaga Central, but he slowly came to learn, as did you, that um, there are some rabid fans out there no matter what school you go to. You're absolutely right. You know, thinking back, as you were just saying, thinking back, you know, we did go through that thought process, like, why will we come here and get ripped? The, the, the program's unstable, or, you know, we're unsure about the administration and their efforts to try to make things better, and fans won't let go of the 90s, and Larry Johnson and his crew, and, you know, it's just, and then to send a local kid in like he's supposed to be the savior. And then we have this other... Uh, possibility and going to Gonzaga they're always in the top 10 lead the nation in scoring always Julian's a natural scorer it just it just made sense for us to make that move but we did but it did weigh on us in our decision some of the things that you just brought up especially you know just you know things just weren't settled quite like they should have been I think but going back to also what you said no matter where he is, we, we've come to learn no matter where he would have gone to school, you're going to get that same punishment. They love you today. If you have a bad game tomorrow, they're going to rip you to shreds. It doesn't matter where you are. Speaking so of he's, the, he's got tough skin through that, you know, because of that. Yep. And, um, again, speaking with Lee Strother here, um, father of Julian Strother, Paris Strother, and Lee, of course, he played back in the day for Bill Bobeer over at Valley High School, so he knows plenty about high school basketball, AAU basketball. Back when John Farrell, Jim Allen, Larry McKay, they were running AAU tournaments, right? Um, yeah. So with that being said, you know, I had a funny conversation the other day with the Big Daddy. Mm -hmm. he, he called me and he said, uh, and that is my father for anyone listening out there, and he was like, hey, are you going to watch the game tonight? I've been watching Lee's son. And so he, he was talking about Julian, and he goes, Man, I really like that Timmy guy. Are they both going to go? And I was like, well, you know, it's funny because they both went to the Combine last year. And Julian is actually – Timmy is a, is probably 
been painted as this better college basketball player because he's the go-to guy. He's been the star. It's like his turn in Mark Few's rotation. Mark Few has built a reputation where he's got his guy and then his this tremendous supporting cast. But if you look at the pro prospect, Julian is actually a better pro prospect, and that's what came out of the Combine last year. I started doing some checks while I was on the phone with him, and there's at least three mock drafts that have Julian going 25th, 26th, and 27th. How have you, from afar, tried to help make sure that that doesn't become a distraction with the task at hand, even though, hey, we put in three years, this could be the year? Uh. It was tougher last year because it was just so many unknowns. Having gone through that whole process last year, making the decision to come back to school, knowing that the goal was if we're going to come back, we're going back to get drafted in the first round as a junior. And uh, so we, we just planned for that. You know, we worked or he worked to make that happen and he's you know he's been successful at it and it's been a struggle for him you know he's always been the go-to guy since he was in elementary school on whatever team whatever level he's been that guy and then he goes to Gonzaga and his freshman year he's not even robbing to Batman you know he's practically a nobody so he took some growing you know some lumps there and growing pains and last year he flourished um but he's still not the top guy. This year, he's exploding, but he's still not the top guy. So he's become a better ball player as a result of it. It's not what we had in, had in mind going, you know, when we decided to commit there. But uh, it's, it's all worked out, and he's a better ball player for it. And if anything, the pros see that he can fit into a system. He doesn't have to be the guy, but he can... Make the help make the engine run just as much as the top guy can. Lee, we appreciate a couple minutes. Thank you so much for the time. Uh, I was just looking at bracketology. Uh, Joe Lenardi, ESPN, have Gonzaga as a three. You think the guys would be happy with that? Would you be happy with that? I would rather be a two because we it would give us a better shot of him getting out here into the West and playing in Vegas one more time. There you go. So that's that's our goal. We need some things to happen. Baylor losing today helps us. We need maybe Marquette to lose. We need some of these top-tier teams, these top-ten teams to fall in their conferences, and maybe we can slide into a number two seed by Sunday. Thanks, Lee. Really you good bet. stuff. We appreciate it. Appreciate you guys. Take care. There he is. Lee Strother on the phone, father of Julian Strother. Of course, Paris Strother played here at UNLV for the Lady Rebels, and Gonzaga won the West Coast just the other night at the Orleans, looking at a probably a three seed, outside shot at a two seed. Well, right now we have... The drama is developing as uh, Nevada is down five at the half against San Jose State, 31-26. I was just looking at the bracketology update. Just came down about uh, an hour ago. And before this game, the pack were the first team out. Out. So I don't think there's much mystery. If they lose to San Jose State, if they don't come back in the second half, Willie, they are not making the NCAA tournament. they got to come back and win. Fridays and Saturdays, $500 hourly free play drawings from 8 p.m. to 12 a.m. All February long at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. 
I want to correct something here from yesterday's show. When Kendrick Perkins said 80% of NBA voters for the MVP award are white, the NBA publicly announces the voters each year. And after review, it is clear the panel is much more diverse than what was portrayed by Kendrick Perkins. And we wanted to make sure that we corrected that today. Lawyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor Xavier Pope is live on Cofield and Company. Wow. What a set of topics to discuss. We'll definitely get into that one. First take, K-Perk, Reddick, going at it. Molly Karam, for some reason, borderline apologizing for comments. I don't know why she's doing the apologizing. We'll get to that instead of five. But Xavier Pope is with us here on a Thursday as we're tracking all the basketball here. Thomas and Mack, the Mount West Conference Tournament. Xavier, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good, Steve. A uh, lot to talk about today. Oh, my God. There's so much I left on the cutting room floor. I mean, this has been a crazy, crazy week. Well, one of the things we want to start with, Willie, I know you wanted to ask about what's going on with Michael Irvin because he made some weird comments as well. But what's the latest with Irvin? Well, he didn't make weird comments. He's commenting, I feel, justifiably on once the video was released from the encounter just before the Super Bowl or the week of the Super Bowl at the Marriott with the young woman. And and what the video shows is that he shook her hand at the beginning and the end, and there was one time where, like, in talking, when you're, you know, people talk with their hands, he, like, glanced her elbow and another time he, he was laughing or something he leaned forward and brushed up against her arm but it was very nonchalant it wasn't alarming it wasn't anything anybody who has seen it apparently and he's demanding he feels Marriott should be sued he's demanding an apology I mean it's he says the Marriott should suffer the consequences hey you know what if the vi- if, if the video is exactly the way it sounds like it is the, or the way that they're making it sound someone owes Michael Irvin an apology and, and I think the big thing about that, Willie, is he talked about in his press conference his attempt to try to get all the witnesses and clarify everything that happened. And he, it, instead of that, it was just didn't want to hear what he had to say and had to suffer the immediate consequence of, yep. of it. So his, his complaint is to the recklessness in which they acted um, when it was clear that it was nothing that had happened. And, and I and I 100% agree because I, I think that that's the when things like this are handled the way that they're handled, you you know it, it can tarnish a reputation, and it mm-hmm. can it can bring some people down. And the wrong thing said, especially this day and age with social media, it just takes a little bit. Even before social media, okay, I know plenty of people that have been misaligned and alleged things and. It turns out not to be true, and but it doesn't matter because perception is reality, and people want to come well, to their conclusions. Let me let me jump in, guys, real quick on because it was the NFL Network basically that said, "All right, Irvin, you know, time to go home." And it, it cracks me up the NFL Network because they are in a place now, Xavier, where they have to overreact to stuff like this between males and females yeah. and allegations because they allowed it to go on with a weird workplace, a creepy workplace, for so long. That now they're up against it. But that doesn't mean every case that comes along, you make an instant judgment, someone's right, someone's wrong. This is your fault for what you've set up previously at the NFL Network. See, but see, then I think that's that's where we started getting some legal weeds there, where you had the NFL Network had to basically report, um, at the, at they had to act at this situation where it was the Super Bowl, and they had to act real quick to against these allegations. And so that's why Michael Irvin is upset. 
at the Marriott because they are the individuals um, that were responsible for handling any potential internal investigation and being able to quickly look at video and determine nothing may have happened. And so him and, and, and him offering witnesses, and they didn't do that. And so uh, the NFL can only go with, hey, there's an allegation here. Do something and, and take care of it instead of the, the, the first place where it is to occur, Marriott, maybe doing a little bit more diligence before they maybe, just, maybe decided to act and impact with all the, the explosiveness of a, a situation like the Super Bowl, the biggest event of North American sports. Xavier Pope is with us. All right, so we hear the audio coming back of Molly Karam essentially apologizing for what Kendrick Perkins said. Kendrick Perkins, in essence, said, uh, talking about uh, the MVP voting, uh, in the National Basketball Association that because of uh, guys like Jokic, he made the judgment that 80% of the voters for the MVP in the NBA are white, and then he listed you know several players, and we'll play the audio here in a second, but uh, this is a dicey situation because you know not everyone was kind of vetted on what they were going to say. J.J. Redick comes in after Perkins claims that you know, you've got racism when it comes to voting, in the NBA MVP race, he comes in and annihilates the show, goes after Perkins, and then, like, all hell is broken loose now. Uh, and ESPN's kind of scaring here. And I'll just say, Xavier, these things we're speaking into hold a lot of power. And when you put people in front of mics and you don't vet and you don't plan, these can be really dangerous. Yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't fight a statistic, though. I think that's where the, where the issue comes in. If you're going to provide information, you're going to provide data, especially in a data-driven uh, era we live with, with fantasy sports, sports gaming, uh, also with uh, in terms of how things are measured in professional sports, you can't come across on a, on a program where you're showing stats all the time and provide a stat about something that's really important like race uh, and to uh, one of the biggest leagues and, 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 and fight something that's false. Let's play the audio here. Is J.J. Raddick... Uh, came after Kendrick Perkins. He wasn't initially on first take. He comes in and first of all, he lobs just lobs a bomb saying, "What's this is what's wrong with the show?" And then they just start yelling at each other. But what we've just witnessed is the problem with this show, where we create narratives that do not exist in reality. The implication, what you are implying, that the white voters that vote on NBA are racist. That are, they, they favor white people. You I just not, said that. I you ju- not, yes, you did. did. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. That is exactly what you implied, Kendrick Perkins. I stated the facts. I stated the facts. Down to guys winning MVP since 1990. It's only three guys that won the MVP that wasn't top 10 in scoring. Who were they? Steve Nash, Jokic, and uh, Dirk Nowinski. No. Dirk Nowinski. <laughs> what do the... What do those guys have in common? So that's one metric that Perkins is using. And I'm not discounting the fact that there can be uh, racial bias in media voting. Um, I, Xavier, I think you could make a strong case, though, for those three guys that they weren't, uh, two of the three weren't voted MVP because of their scoring. So you would expect that they would have lower scoring totals, uh, rebounds, and in the case of assists with Jokic and Nash also play a part. So I... I think Perkins' argument is a little bit flawed, but I won't. I won't discount the fact that I do believe there is uh, often a racial tinge when it comes to uh, coverage in sports and sometimes in voting. You see, that makes it much more complicated and more thorny issue, though, Steve, because you have that element of it, and it doesn't necessarily have a factual base that you can point to. And so, when you can discuss an issue like that 
like you just did now, express your feelings about it. But you can't turn around and determine that I'm delivering a fact and then offer a statistic to back up that opinion when it is false. That's what false, that's what this information, misinformation is grounded in and in, in, in telling people something that's not true and putting facts, figures, um, slicing things together. We live in a, in a world where uh, misinformation is, is big in our society. We're trying to do more to combat that. So you, you can't be the, the worldwide leader in sports and, and fight something that's false, even if you're attempting to make a point that's grounded in something that might be no. So I want to get everyone in on this discussion. Xavier Pope is with us. Willie Ramirez over at Silver 7th Cofield here at the arena as we're watching the Mountain West Conference Tournament. Um, I do believe what I saw this week reminded me of some of the problems with NFL coverage when it comes to African-American uh, quarterbacks who use their legs. I think there's always been this resistance around the league. They're warming up to it more and more now. But I think there's people in the media who want to be right and say, hey, running quarterbacks are never going to be as good as your traditional quarterback. What do you think is going on right now, Xavier, with Lamar Jackson now out there? And then immediately there are reports that the five teams that might want him, could use him, they're out. It's The reporting and, and rumors have been really weird around Lamar Jackson. You see, and I tweeted about this, and a lot of people had a lot to say about it, is that Lamar Jackson, he hasn't followed the traditional model of the, eight, the, the traditional agency route in terms of his representation and his business interest in the National Football League. And it's connected to the old, good old boy network and being plugged into that space. And it is what it is. I mean, and so teams don't have the necessarily the same level of trust in players, and they look at them as cogs in the engine to be able to make billions of dollars and pass along to the next guy, particularly in a league like the National Football League. So Lamar, Lamar Jackson hasn't played the role. So you can say, okay, well, look at the, the two quarterbacks that played in the Super Bowl, those two African-American quarterbacks, um, and, 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 and see how they played, and then look at other quarterbacks, see what happened with Deshaun Washington, you know, all his contract. But they have gone the traditional agency while Lamar Jackson is, is his champion and done things for himself and said things to say that he's there for himself and his family and what he's going to do. And I think that it's, it's a weird narrative about, about it and people not paying attention to the power dynamic of the National Football League, and that's through its, its, its traditional channels and how it handles dealing with labor, and that's the players that play in this league, that the, the league says, you're caught in the end, you do things really the way we want to, so we can treat you the way we want you to treat you. That's simple. So, so let me ask you this, Xavier, because I don't – I don't get it. I don't buy. I, I can't buy into anybody's old school philosophy when I've seen this person play firsthand. I know that there are other reporters in Las Vegas that have said the best quarterback that they've ever covered in person, and a lot of them are first time NFL reporters because the Raiders just got here, is Patrick Mahomes. The best NFL player that I've seen in person is Lamar Jackson from the Monday night game two seasons ago. I think he's a phenomenal athlete. And they lost. And I went into the post-game press conference and listened to this man talk. I mean, this dude is about as humble as they come when you're speaking off of a loss, the opening game, his talent. How is it that they can get away with that in 2023? And I know it sounds rhetorical because it still goes on with coaching hires and, you know, as, as it used to be called, the, uh, the BQF, right, the black quarterback factor, that, that they would look the other way. But... I just don't see what they're what what are they seeing that they're so worried about this person? Willie, let's I know a completely different skill set. Still an African American quarterback, but look at Geno Smith uh, and the situation he was allowed to be in to thrive. 
in other situations where he weren't he was in that he wasn't necessarily put in the best situation. Uh, could he have done different things differently in his career? Of course, but getting that opportunity eluded him for quite some time. And when he finally got the opportunity, he's been able to shine. Right. And it, just because you have talent in the league, don't necessarily mean you will get the opportunity to play. And that's that's what it has been in the history of African American quarterbacks in the National Football League. So it, it may be different for certain players like Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Jalen Hurts. They may have certain paths. There's still uh, the breakthrough that quarterbacks have to be made in terms of how they handle their business, not just on the field, but off the field. Well, and, and do you think that him not have him not having an agent? Do you think that this is playing any type of role where they think that they have a power move over him? Oh, come on, Willie! <laughs> I'm asking you. That's that, that's my whole. This is my whole entire point. Is that if Lamar Lamar Jackson is seen as a cog in the engine of any NFL team, and if you don't have the, a certain way the NFL looks at you, they're not going to respect you the same way. It just it is what it is. It it, 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 it had an owner that talked about uh, the difference between players and, and an asylum, and, and, and so you have to consider just the way that NFL players are viewed by NFL teams. You just you got a combine coming on, so you have to measure people. Colin Kaepernick talked about. In his his film about him, he can he compared that to uh, in, in terms of slaves. Now I don't I wouldn't necessarily say that is a one to one presentation, but in terms of how we look at players, they are seen as expendable by the National Football League, and the easier it is for them to manipulate over you in terms of contract negotiations. Regardless of what we think, how smart Lamar Jackson is, he is still lacing his labor by owners in the National Football League. That's simple. Yeah, well, I hope that he lands somewhere and sticks it up everybody's. You know what? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's what happens. You just have to get out there and ball. And Lamar Jackson has proven that every time he's had the chance to have the picks in his hands. we got about two minutes left. Xavier Hope is with us. Let's uh, let's hit on this. We have so many stories to get to, but let's hit on this one. Um, yeah, we got a problem sometimes in the media, and this is not me doing fake media. I respect the media. A lot of people do good work. But uh, once things get aggregated and the message starts getting spread thinner, Sean Kemp, stories come out yesterday, drive-by shooting. It's less than 24 hours later, and now we're hearing no charges pressed, and it's a totally different story with the former NBA player. Yeah, and I, and I, I talked about this all day, and, and it's getting a lot of attention. And and we, we, people, the rush to be first and to share a funny meme and to, to create a narrative, it, 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 this, is a, this is a person's life that we're talking about. And Sean Kemp didn't have to have this said about him. All people had to do was just talk about Trying to figure out what happened. You first heard it from TMZ, and then you see Wall Street Journal report drive-by shooting, uh, and then he turns around the next day, and, and he's there, there's there's nothing happening. Can facts come out, please? Can people not make takes about stuff that and they don't have all the information about? Do we have that in 2023, please? Be nice. <laughs> You Be know nice. what? You 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 nailed it with with the tweet too in terms of how they they're presenting current and former black athletes. It's just it's. It's disgusting. And, and why do we have to ghettoize every situation involving a black athlete? It, it's, it's almost there, there needs to be a headline about Sean Kemp. Let Sean Kemp live his life. Uh, Chuck D tweeted about Sean Kemp having a couple of dispensaries out there in the Pacific Northwest. He's having his business. He got something stolen from him, or there may other more need to be learned about that. But when we learn about more information, it wasn't as nefarious as it was being made out to be. And you got to be careful with this stuff. These are people's real, actual lives. We started this whole segment talking about Michael Irvin and a response to him. 
And these are people, they, they, even if they get off the field, they still have to take care of their families. They still have to live. These aren't, these aren't just subjects you make fun of trend on Twitter and have a good time. Xavier, you are the man. Appreciate it. Love you. We'll talk to you soon. Love you too, y'all. Love you.